Good morning. All right. Thank you to both of you. All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, my name is Pastor Mark. I'm excited to get to, to share God's word with you guys this morning. Uh, you might be personally less excited when you hear we're going to cover nine chapters uh, today, but I'm known as a fast talker, so I think if we work together, uh, we can get through this. Uh, I do hope that you had uh, a very Merry Christmas. Uh, we had a lot of fun. I know many of you guys joined us on uh, Thursday night, Christmas Eve, here to uh, sing some songs outside and, and light a few candles. Uh, I will tell you, we did get to witness a Christmas miracle, and that would be a sermon from Pastor Eric, shorter than 10 minutes. So you were, you were there for a, a very special moment in the life of the church. Um, I do wish you a happy new year, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure the slogan for 2021 is, there's room for improvement. Uh, so we are looking forward to, uh, to turning the calendar and, and starting uh, a new year. But as we, as we dive into to God's words this morning, would you, would you pause for a moment and allow me to pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, I do uh, thank you for just another day that you have given to us. It's easy to kind of heap up our frustrations and uh, disappointments uh, this time of year and, and perhaps this particular year. Uh, so, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, just fill us with joy, that you would allow uh, us to have a happy 2020, but not because of um, circumstances or situations, but because we know the love of our Savior and we know the goodness of our God and, and the things that, that you bless us with, um, or it's easy to focus on the negative. God, we do pray uh, that you would uh, speak through Isaiah like you did uh, in his time in the past, that you would speak through him uh, again, uh, that your word would come through powerfully and clear, that we would hear what you would intend for each of us to hear, and that we would be challenged uh, and encouraged in the ways that each of us need. So I ask for your help with this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, this past week we had Christmas, uh, if you didn't know that. Uh, it is a, a fun time of year. It's certainly a fun time of year in our house. Our house uh, is known for having a few nativity scenes uh, decorated around it. Uh, I personally could argue perhaps a few too many uh, nativity scenes, but I'm outnumbered in my house by uh, three to one girls to me. Uh, and so I think that I would lose that vote uh, on the, the quantity uh, of nativity scenes. And then flip side is I collect Ninja Turtles, so I don't get to judge anybody else's collection. Like I, that, I don't get to set that bar. Um, but our family really enjoys uh, the nativity. Now, the nativity is uh, sort of lacks often a, a theological precision, uh, but they do sort of fill us with all the feels, right? They, they, may, they make us smile when we look at them. Uh, we have some fun in our house uh, in particular when it comes to the nativity. Uh, we sort of have a, a rule that, that, that baby Jesus isn't allowed to show up until Christmas Day. Uh, you know, the, 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 the buildup to Christmas, you can't have baby Jesus can't show up before Christmas. So, so somewhere randomly in our house is like a little stash of multiple baby Jesuses just waiting to show up uh, on Christmas morning. Uh, and occasionally you'll find wise men in strange locations throughout our house because they shouldn't be there yet. You can't have them right next to the nativity. That's not, that's not right. Uh, and so we just sort of have, we have fun with it in our house. And it's a, a very fun tradition. It's a, it's a fun thing to celebrate. And, and, and we all just sort of, we all love baby Jesus, right? Most people kind of like baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is, is pretty easy to handle. It's, the nativity is a, a, a pretty easy thing for, for people to celebrate. Now, we've been going through Isaiah for what feels like three years now, but it was only a, a couple of months back when we were in Isaiah chapter 9 that we read kind of this uplifting passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders 
and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we, we see that in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, and, and those sort of prophecies are, are kind of the, the building blocks of all the things that we just celebrated this past week, a couple of days ago with the Nativity. And those are, that's a really uplifting passage. That's a passage pretty easy. It, it puts a smile uh, on our face. We, we think of what's shared there, that, that this King Jesus reigning on David's throne and, and the greatness of his government and peace will know no end. And, and that's something for, for Israel to be excited about. It's something for us to kind of rejoice in. But this morning, we sort of have to flip things over. And we're going to look at the complete opposite end of the, the prophetical spectrum. And today, we're going to cover the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And it's a prophecy pointing to the, the same person, to, to the same Jesus, but it's just totally opposite. And you sort of have to maybe bear with me uh, with this analogy um, but it's kind of what came to my mind as I was sort of thinking about the this and that of Isaiah 9 to Isaiah, you know, sort of 53 that we're going to see this morning. And um, what came to my mind was the movie Jurassic Park, okay? Very natural progression. I'll explain in a second. But get back in your time machine. We're going to go back to 1993, Steven Spielberg classic uh, dinosaur film Jurassic Park. Uh, a picture of time when high-waisted acid-washed jeans were all the rage, like today. Uh, and, and it starts off as this, this fun, kind of uh, exciting movie, and there's these archaeologists, and they're going to go to this dinosaur amusement park, and, and there's this uplifting sort of soaring music and this beautiful scenery, and, and it's just sort of like the start of the movie, just exciting and happy. Dinosaurs are cool, right? We like those. But then through kind of a series of events, uh, things go haywire, and the main characters then sort of spend the rest of the movie trying to stay alive and, and get off of this dinosaur-infested island. And, and what sort of begins as kind of this beautiful dream becomes instead this nightmare. The island, towards the end, sort of bears very, very little resemblance to what it first look like. And the main characters and kind of us as the audience when we watch the movie, we're sort of left there pondering like, how did we get from this, you know, to that, you know, the happy, exciting fun to like, hey, we're still alive. We made it survival nightmare movie. Um, but, but that's kind of this, this switch that we have to almost kind of make this morning. Think back to Isaiah's time as they read through this Isaiah chapter nine and they hear about this this future king, and it's uplifting, and it's encouraging, and then they continue on, and in Isaiah 53, they hear about this suffering servant. How many of them were, would have been able to, to sort of connect that those two figures being spoken of, and, and glowing and uplifting terms in one section, and difficult and challenging terms in the other, that, that those are the same person? How do we sort of get from this to that? Yeah, but they are, and, and, and we don't get to just leave baby Jesus in the manger where, where you found him this week, that, that, that baby Jesus is going to become king, and, and he, he grows up, and he's going to offer himself on, on behalf of humanity to be broken, to be sacrificed for our sins and for God's glory. 
So that's where we're gonna get to, but we got a little work to, to get to that point because we left off in Isaiah 48 last week. So we're gonna pick up in the start of Isaiah 49 if you wanna follow along. And the suffering servant in 53 doesn't just show up out of, out of nowhere that uh, Isaiah here at, at 49 begins to point us to him and we begin to see uh, our, our attention drawn to the servant. The first section here we're going to look at, the servant is rejected, but Israel is going to stumble, chapters 49 and 50. Uh, starting out in the first handful of verses of chapter 49 of Isaiah, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord and God, my God has been my strength. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Big section there. Um, but Eric mentioned previously in the, in the, that, that we hear this word servant throughout Isaiah, but it comes up in a couple of different contexts. Um, varying people or groups of people is is being represented by that word. But, but in this chapter and sort of going forward through to, to 53, it's gonna be kind of laser focused in on it that this is Jesus, that this is the future Messiah, that this is the servant. And some clues here that we, we start to see in, in 49 that, that are turning in that direction. Verse three says, you are my splendor Israel in whom I will, sorry, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. So here we hear, we see Israel linked to, to the servant and, and you might be tempted to think that that's what he's talking about here, but that doesn't fit as we continue on the context, jump down to verse five. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to himself, to gather Israel to himself, Finishing up in verse six, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So uh, Isaiah is actually doing something interesting here where he calls the servant Israel because he's saying this servant is going to do what Israel couldn't do. So he's not saying Israel is the servant. He's saying this servant is going to do what Israel was called to do. Some, somebody that could actually finish their job. Somebody that could live in full submission to the will of God and could be an example to the world. Israel wasn't capable of that. It says here the servant will be able to restore Israel, restore Judah, but not stop there. That, that this servant will then be a light for the Gentiles. That's how we see it's being linked to Jesus. It's a light for the Gentiles and extends salvation to the end of the earth. So if you hear this part, you're like, servant? Doesn't sound too bad. Not, not, not a tough job. Restore Israel, restore Judah, light for the Gentiles. Not a bad job description, but it gets tougher. In chapter 50, fast forward a little bit, picking up in verse four. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. 
He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So we see in this section, this servant will be rejected. And I love the the beginning line there that I read in verse four, um, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. And this is why the servant uh, will be rejected. The servant isn't gonna come silently. He's gonna speak with the power and the authority of God. And many of those that hear, many of the established religious leaders of the day aren't gonna wanna hear it. And the forecast for this servant is not smooth sailing. We see this particularly in verse six. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And you know it's not a good list when getting your beard hair ripped out is the least offensive thing that's gonna happen to you, okay? If you've never had a beard, point one, you should try it. You know, they're cool. Point two, zippers are your nemesis, right? Because it really hurts when one of these things gets ripped out. Uh, I generally try to avoid getting my beard hair ripped out. And just if any of you gets an idea this morning that that would be like, <laughs> you know, as you're walking out, as you walk by, our friendship is over. Like I'm just, that one's just on the table. Like those hurt. Those are, those are delicate. Our friendship, don't, don't, ruin, don't ruin our friendship for just one little. Mm. That's the, the least bad thing that's gonna happen to the servant here. I turn my back so, to those who beat me. Or I offer my back to those who beat me, my beard, and, and spitting and mocking. And this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse, guys. This is just the, the buildup. The second part of this section, the servant will be rejected, but Israel is also going to stumble. Uh, Israel expresses uh, the feeling that they feel forgotten by God. Uh, rewind back now, back to Isaiah 49, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. I uh, heard a good line in a podcast I was listening to uh, this week. I was listening to a Focus on the Family uh, podcast about marriage, and they were talking about feelings and kind of relationships, you know, husband and wife and and what role feelings play. And uh, they made this this good line that I I wanted to quote back to you. said, feelings aren't right or wrong. They're just feelings. Having a feeling doesn't make it true. Uh, And I think that's a, a wise statement. But given where Israel was uh, giving their circumstances during this time period, I don't think it's wrong for them to sort of give words to this feeling um, that they felt forgotten by God, that, that they felt distant from God. I think what really matters is what we do with those feelings, right? And Isaiah gives them a response right after they express that. Verse 15 of, of chapter 49 Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, uh, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, if they were sort of, this question comes out of their exile, it it may have felt like God had forgotten them. But but big picture, we know that that wasn't true. Uh, Looking back, and God reassures them in that moment through the prophet Isaiah that that Feeling won't be true, that God can never forget his people. 
So the question is, what will Israel do with this feeling of abandonment? Will they believe it and, and act on it? Or will they sort of let the truth of God set them back on the right path? Uh, now, fast forward back again, a little jumping around this morning to chapter 50, and we'll see uh, how many of them will choose to respond. Uh, chapter 50, picking up verse 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Oh, that sounds encouraging. But verse 11, but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches that you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. He says, you're going to be in darkness. You're going to feel forgotten. The question is, where will you go? Who will you follow? Where will you look to for trust and guidance? Will you trust in the creator to lead you back? To lead his children home? Or not? You think Israel did this? And unfortunately, many of them chose not to. I think we see this in verse 11. It's kind of a piercing line when you slow down for a second and read it. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches. Go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches that you have set ablaze. Saying you're gonna walk in your own light. You're gonna follow your own wisdom. You're, you're gonna do it your way because you feel forgotten and you will stumble. Uh, a great line as I was kind of studying for this, uh, this week that, that I wanted to share with you guys uh, I think is, is just great wisdom, says this, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Isn't that good? Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. That, that God tells them how he's going to, to, to play this out. The plan isn't a secret, and it was out there in the light for them to know and to see, but it is so tempting in those moments, in those dark places, to just retreat and forget all of the things that God has told us, to, to let our feelings uh, begin to steer our ship in a direction opposite of the truth of God. I will tell you, uh, friends, God's promises don't disappear just because life gets hard, but it can be tempting in moments to believe that. Now, the good news for Israel is that not everyone is going to give in to that doubt, to give in to that feeling of being forgotten and, and try to light their own path, that there are, there are some, the righteous, that will be exalted. We see this in, in chapter 51 and 52. Uh, reading from Isaiah 51, verse one, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were honed. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. And the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden and her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. So he's telling them, look back at your history. Kind of refresh yourself with, with what we learn in Genesis of God's love and God's guidance and God's miraculous provision of the building blocks of Israel, Abraham and Sarah. And I think this speaks to a temptation that, that, that we can wrestle with at times. 
We sort of know the history. We, we know the stories from the Bible. We know God's work in those moments. And, and sometimes we can read and see what God did for them, you know, kind of insert biblical um, person here. And the temptation is to kind of see two gods. The temptation to see what God did for them in that moment and then kind of the, the temptation to see the God that we deal with now. And, and God in this moment with Israel with their doubt points back and says, remember their history. Remember your history. I want to remind you, same God. Loving then, loving now. Faithful then, faithful now. And so on. And so yes, the exile is, is a real part of Israel's history but God still desired their faithfulness and they will eventually find rest in him. They will return home someday. They are not forgotten. They have not been abandoned. That some will hold firmly to that trust. There's a beautiful verse that kind of wraps up this, this particular section, chapter 52, uh, verse 11 and 12. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. They're coming home. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He's saying, you will return, and God will not only lead the way, he'll also watch your back, that, that this return will happen. And then we sort of transition into uh, chapter uh, the end of chapter 52, the last three verses of chapter 52 and, and all of chapter 53 is kind of the main event uh, of this morning. Um, and we are going to, to really highlight kind of the suffering servant. We're gonna see that in this section, even though this servant will suffer, that God will ultimately exalt him. And it's a big chunk uh, of scripture's 15 verses uh, here, but I'm gonna read the whole thing kind of from, from start uh, to finish, there's nothing uh, more profound that I've said or I'm going to say later than these 15 verses. So, so I really want uh, you to just kind of hear this part. If you've checked out this morning, check back in, give me 90 seconds, and then you can daydream about whatever it is that floats your boat uh, after that. But, but hear this, because I think this is really important. Isaiah chapter 52, picking up in verse 13, reading through the end of chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in its mouth. In his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. Now we tend to only sort of think of this passage uh, of scripture, the suffering servant, as, as a part of our Bible that we use for Good Friday. Uh, but I, I don't think that the only intended use is for that one day. I think that there are benefits that we can take out of it uh, whenever we come to it. I think there's a, a great little uh, encounter in the book of Acts in, in chapter 8. Uh, Philip is traveling out of Jerusalem and he kind of has this, this encounter with uh, an Ethiopian eunuch uh, as they were both traveling, and it says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 30. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Again, tying just right in, he was reading Isaiah 53. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So the Ethiopian's reading Isaiah, and he's in Isaiah 53, and he's doing something that if you've been reading through Isaiah, you've probably asked yourself a few times, who's he talking about here, right? And he desires to know, he desperately wants to understand, and he asks Philip, would you explain this to me? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So yes, this is a passage about suffering, and there should be a heaviness to it, but it is that suffering and that sacrifice that leads to life, and that is the good news of Jesus, amen? There's things that we can learn here. It's not just a Good Friday passage. A couple of things, uh, the, the, this section, there's, there's 15 verses. It breaks up nicely into five stanzas of three verses. It's very poetic uh, in the way that it was written. I wanna hit a, kind of a, a couple of things as we work through it, picking up in uh, chapter uh, 52, verse 13. It, we're gonna see that the servant is perplexed. He's going to perplex people. Uh, many people had this picture from Isaiah 9, this, this king on David's throne, and that's what they were looking for, but Jesus didn't come in power. Jesus came in humility. And then his appearance is going to be different than what they were expecting. They were expecting A, but Jesus came as B, and, and this just leaves people with some confusion. They're perplexed by him. The next section, the servant is going to be rejected. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. You sort of see this arc throughout 
uh, the Gospels, as, as Jesus is ministering to people, these crowds, the, initially there's these big crowds that follow him and, and lots of hype and excitement. But as you continue to read through the Gospels, you see that those crowds begin to fade as Jesus lays out for them what it really means to be a follower of him. When they begin to see that he's not just a free meal ticket, he's not just an all-you-can-eat loaves and fish traveling buffet, but that he is the savior and that he demands things of those that follow him. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, it's shocking how quickly the crowds went from chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, to chanting, crucify, crucify. Because see, people like kind of the, the, the wise teacher, Jesus, even in our culture, Jesus, wise teacher, they're, they're okay with that. But Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus asked me to change stuff. Lord Jesus calls me to live for others. He tells me that my life isn't all about me. That Jesus is offensive. That Jesus was rejected. In the next section, we're going to see the servant was crushed. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The servant was crushed, broken, killed, sacrificed. He made a payment on a debt that nobody but him could pay. And the math doesn't compute by our logic. His punishment equals our peace. His wounds equals our healing. The sins of the world rested on his shoulders, and he took it. We see in the next section, he took it willingly. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But we know that Jesus was not a victim, uh, unable to alter the course of what was happening. He was still Lord. Now, Alaskans, we all know the feeling of driving and slamming on the brakes, knowing that this car is going to go precisely where it wants to go. And at this moment, our steering wheel is decorative, right? We, we know that feeling of being completely out of control to the end point of this moment. At no point was that Jesus. At any moment, he could have changed. He could have stopped. He could have said, no way, I'm God. But I love the line from the, the song, How Deep the Father's Love. It says this, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Jesus was willing and he stayed because he loves us. The last kind of part of, uh, of this section, the servant was satisfied. Satisfied what was needed Verse 12 ends with this, because he poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. A payment made that satisfies the debt. One perfect life given so that the sins of many could be paid for. Now, here's kind of a, a little homework uh, assignment. Actually, there, if you have the, your sermon notes, there's a discussion question in there that kind of prompts you uh, to do this, and, and I would invite you to, to try this uh, sometime this week, uh, I would like you to read through this section, these 15 verses, uh, and I would like you to change a few words. Uh, now, if you're new to Bethel, this isn't a habit that we generally encourage, okay? The, 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 this isn't our, our standard practice. But it is particularly easy, I think, to read a section like this 
and see it as something that Jesus did for everyone else and miss the personal reality that Jesus did this for you. So actually, I would want you to go through and and read this section and and change a couple words as necessary to read it in the first-person perspective. Does that make sense? So if you're reading verse 5, if it said, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, that sounds like that's for everyone. Read it this way. You would read, he was pierced for my transgressions. He was pierced for my iniquities. And so on, and kind of make a couple of those changes and just read it through in a new way with a new perspective and realize that it's personal. Now, we don't get to do this wherever we want in the Bible. That's a real dangerous habit, so we're going to discourage changing the words of Scripture. But there is a truth that what Jesus did for all, he specifically did for each of us individually, and it's certainly applicable. Uh, Paul does a a great job when when he speaks about the nature of the cross and its personal nature. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, all of us, of whom I am the worst. So he saw the personal nature of the gospel. Now, we've bitten off a a huge chunk today. There's still four chapters to go, uh, and so we need to kind of land the plane. Uh, But there are kind of two final points that I want to make in just this last section There is an invitation to trust, but a warning to those who don't believe. His servant's going to come, and we've all got to decide what we want to do with that. And there are two very distinct different paths of response to God's invitation. Isaiah chapter 55, uh, the first three verses say this, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. That's the invitation to trust. Come and taste what is good. That there are those that don't and don't accept that invitation and instead they get warning. The end of Isaiah 57, the very end of of where we'll stop today, verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves come up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See, God offers peace through the sacrifice of Jesus, but not all will willingly accept it. My hope kind of this morning uh, is that you heard a passage that, that you might have been familiar with, but maybe heard it in a, in a new light uh, and maybe in a, in a very personal way. Uh, there's two kind of paths of application that, uh, that I think lay out uh, for us for this, depending on where you are when you come to this section. Uh, if you don't know the peace of Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would consider that. Are, are you still holding the weight of your own sin and your own transgressions on your shoulders, or would you like to place those on Jesus? Because, see, he's the perfect suffering servant. And he came, the son of God, went to the cross, motivated by love so that we can place our trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, that he can become our savior and bear what we can't bear and pay a price that we can't pay. And that offer is extended to humanity. But I'm guessing many of you in here have, have taken that step, that that if you've already accepted that free offer and we come to the suffering servant, what do we do with that? 
What do we do if Jesus is already our Lord? What do we do with the suffering servant? I think we get a great picture uh, from, from Jesus in the Gospels of what we're supposed to do. And, and I'll point a particular here to Matthew chapter 20 uh, and verse 25 through 28. Uh, there's this story where uh, one of the mothers of some of the disciples come to Jesus and kind of have this little like backdoor conversation like, hey, Jesus, can my sons have like special seats in your kingdom? Uh, and it kicks off this argument amongst the disciples you know, mom had the best of intentions, but didn't have necessarily the best outcome. And the disciples start to, to quarrel. And Jesus just snuffs it out with this. Verse 25, Matthew 20. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because you see, the person that walked this earth with the most rights to claim didn't seem to place a very high priority on doing that. He gave up everything. We're, we're told he emptied himself because he loves us. And he asked those of us who follow after him as his followers to do the same. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it look like to serve one another? What does it look like to sacrifice for one another? What would it be like to ask the question, how can I serve you today? What can I give up for your good today? How would it transform marriages if husbands said this to their wives and if wives said it back to their husbands? How can I serve you today? What can I give up for your good today? How would it transform families if parents said this to their kids and kids said it back to their parents? How can I serve you today? How, what can I give up for your good today? How would it transform the church if Christian brothers and sisters said this to each other? How can I serve you today? What can I give up for your good today? How would it transform our community and our neighborhoods if we said this to the people that we encounter? How can I serve you today? What can I give up for your good today? Something to think about, right? Let me close with the words of Paul. He's a lot smarter than I am uh, about all this stuff, and I think he nails it uh, in, a, in Philippians chapter two. Picking up in verse five says this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the suffering servant. That's what he did. That's what he calls those of us that follow him to do. There's nothing more challenging that I could say to you in this moment than what Paul says in verse five, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Amen? We're gonna need a lot of prayer to live that out. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I am so thankful for Jesus. I am so thankful for the suffering servant and, and what he went through and what he did because he loves me. And Lord, I, I hope that when we read this passage, that, that, that when we see it, we don't just read it for everyone else, Lord, but that this passage comes alive in our hearts and we remember and remind ourselves of your love for us and what you did for us. And Heavenly Father, you didn't come 
to be served, although you had every right, but you came to serve those around and to offer yourself as a sacrifice. And for that, I am humbled, I am grateful, and I am challenged. Heavenly Father, we, as followers of you, we want to live like you. We want to make choices like you would make choices. We want to love those around us. Heavenly Father, I I cannot do this in my own strength. I know that the sinfulness of my own heart And so, Lord, I ask that you would help me, that you would use your Holy Spirit to work within me and within all of us to live this out, to make this a reality in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our community, in the power and in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen.